strength to tell the truth. Thank you for the courage to share it with us. Appreciate that. If you heard what she said, she made one statement. The more they seem to love me more, the more I let them into my life. And that's what happens in Celebrate Recovery. If you have a worship handout, one of these green things, and they're always on the table out there, they're usually a different color. Inside, there's a center section titled Celebrate Recovery at the bottom. I want to read from that, not the Celebrate Recovery training, but just to Celebrate Recovery if you want to follow with me. First line says, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups can make us think strange things and feel trapped. Now listen to that. Our hurts, habits, and hang-ups can make us think strange things and feel trapped. We can get disoriented and our fears can get blown out of proportion. These feelings can cause us to start doing self-destructive things. This is a critical point. That's so important to understand. Go down below that critical point. Three lines in the middle where it says Proverbs 28.13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. And we're afraid to do that. Because we're afraid if people find out what's really going on in our lives, they won't want anything to do with us. Whitney shared that in just a very, very good way. Remember that pain is inevitable for us all. We're all going to have it. If you don't have it today, it's going to come tomorrow or the next day. But misery is optional. That's where you don't want to stay. Psalm 32, 3-5 from the Living Bible says, There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. I want to thank Connection for making Celebrate Recovery possible. Because it is the people of Connection who have financially and with their own selves supported Celebrate Recovery that we do on Friday night. There's an article in there above that one I just read that talks about Celebrate Recovery training and and this week, tomorrow morning, about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, four of our leaders are headed to Orlando, Florida for training for Celebrate Recovery. We're ready to make another step. And Connection has come together and they've put together that $5,000. I think we'll have like $5,400 at Connection. People have joined together and given. And I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. We are a team. If there's anything about Connection, it is that we do teamwork. One player is not more important than the other. We could look at a ball team, we can say, but you've got to have a shortstop and a catcher and a center fielder. Second base, you've got to have that middle infield, the middle section. But I'm telling you, without the third baseman, without the right fielder, you've got problems. And I've been, most of my ministry, I pastor traditional churches, and you usually have to get up and you have to call people's names out. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for do- I'm so thankful in connection. Well, once in a while we may say something about individuals, but we just talk about what connection's doing. Tonight you came, or this afternoon you came. A group of people here this morning came back to cook popcorn. You see, they're on the team. People clean the bathrooms. People work in child care who were here this morning. They're just team members. I'm so proud to be part of a team called Connection. And I want to thank you for that. The band... All this band basically was here this morning. 
And we just appreciate them coming back to be with us for this. You see, that's teamwork. And that's what we are. And I celebrate that. There's one other thing I want to call attention to on that same page I read from, and it's the very top. I'm going to start a sermon series called I Have a Home, Not of This World. It's about heaven. And the sermon next week, I'm going to start that next week, is what's it like to die? Okay? And the next sermon the week after that is heaven is made for us. And the sermon on July 27th is who will be in heaven and what will we do? And then Sunday, not August the 4th, it's the 3rd, got the wrong date there. I'm going to answer some questions about heaven. And then the next Sunday, August 10th, more questions. Because over the 40 years I've been asked questions about heaven. Probably some you have asked. And so I'm going to answer some of those questions. And I'm going to talk about heaven. Somebody says, why are you doing it now? Well, it's probably an appropriate time for me to talk about it. But, but just, I want to say three months ago, two months ago, one of you came up to me and said, hey, I've got a family member that doesn't come to Connection. But I tell them all the time about the things you talk about. And they said, would your pastor preach a sermon on heaven? If he would, I would come. And so I'm hoping that person will tell that family member, our pastor's not only going to preach one sermon, but five sermons. Because they could come five Sundays. But you come next week. What's it like to die? And we're going to see from God's Word what He says. On April 30th, 1863, Abraham Lincoln spoke to the people of these United States. The words he spoke, well, history has kept those words. Here they are. Look at them on the screen as I read them. Abraham Lincoln said this to the people of the United States of America. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved the many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in number, wealth and power, as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined, listen to what he says, in the deceitfulness of our heart, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, that's God, to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Abraham Lincoln was reminding the people of the United States of the importance of repentance. It's something we have forgotten. He was reminding the people of a country that they need to remember, to look at themselves and see when they leave God out. And they need to repent of that. And he's telling us, don't forget to repent. The Bible says this. Look on the screen in the book of Psalms. Largest book in the Bible, 66.18. It says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now I want to tell you, I don't think anything can stop God from hearing us. 
There was a movie that came out many years ago called Bruce Almighty. Morgan Freeman played God and Jim Carrey played the human that he was conversing with. And Jim Carrey says, what's it like to hear all the prayers? And so for a day, God gave Jim Carrey, Bruce, that privilege to hear all the prayers. About drove him crazy in the movie. Because God hears everything. Excuse me. I don't think anything keeps God from hearing. But the person who wrote this was a person, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And he was trying to remind the people of God that if we don't look at ourselves, people of God, people who say, I am a Christian, if we don't look at ourselves and recognize our own sin, and we won't bring those to God, it creates a barrier between us and God. If I can make it a picture, it would be like drawing somebody on their knees and they're praying, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Lord God. And those words go no further than a block. And that block is the unconfessed sin in that person's life. That is what that person who, who the Bible said was after God's own heart was trying to get the people of God to understand. If we don't look at ourselves and see our own sins, because we say, but I'm saved. Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to heaven. And you see, there is this weight, there is this thought that says, but I don't ever talk about the bad stuff because that enables Satan. But you've got to be careful. Because God wants you to look at the bad stuff. The wrong choices. And we have to confess those to God. We have to repent. Church people are not good at repenting. Matter of fact, church people are good at, at judging folks outside the church. But church people aren't good about repenting of their own sins. We're even good at judging each other in the church. And the problem is that danger is that it creates a block between me and God. You and God. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to Luke 15. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you just open the back of your Bible and just sort of fan, you're going to hit John, Luke, Mark, Matthew, and then just slow down and look at Luke 15. I, I, I want to talk about a story that Jesus makes up. Now let me explain before I get into the Scriptures. Jesus is going to talk about a father in this story. And the father represents God. Okay? In the story. And then he's going to talk about a youngest son. And the youngest son represents people who need to repent. Okay? And also in the story he talks about an older son. And he, re- he, he represents people who don't see their need for repenting. I'm not going to talk about the older son. The story is just too big to get out and, and talk about in basically 35 to 45 minutes. So I'm going to talk about the father who represents God, and I'm going to talk about the youngest son who represents people like you and I who need to repent. Before I do, would you just bow with me as I pray? Father, I thank You. I thank You for this time and for what we're going to concentrate on, and I pray that You help us to see our need to repent. For God, our pride can get in the way. I ask You to hold back Satan at this time who wants to blind us so that we don't see our need to repent to You.
I ask that Your Holy Spirit would, would, would simply illuminate our minds. And that our minds would just be full of Jesus during this time. And God, I ask these things because I want us to honor You as Father and Jesus as Son and Lord of our lives. Amen. So, in this story, we're going to see the process of repentance. If you have your, your worship hand out, look at the first blank. The first, the first part of the process of repenting is having the correct thought. Having the correct thought. If you look in your Bible or look on the screen, verse 18. And if you mark in your Bible, I'd recommend you underline the first seven words of verse 18. So that when you read this six months from now, those seven words will stand out and it'll help you understand this story because you'll forget some of the things that I'm going to say tonight. But the first seven words say, I will go home to my Father. That's the correct thought. That's the beginning of the process of repenting. You've got to have the correct thought. I believe God brings the correct thought to every one of our minds at different times in our life. And this is the correct thought for this younger son in Jesus' story. But let's get into the story. Look back at verse 11. Verse 11 says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. Now, now, Jesus is making this story up. This is not a real life story. This is not something that happened and Jesus is saying, look, see the father, see the younger son? Nope. Jesus is making this story up because He wants us to understand the process of repentance. Okay? And He wants to get across that we need to repent. And so He's going to put things in the story that don't make sense and we're going to have to look at them and see what would be the implication of the meaning of why Jesus tells this story the way He tells it. And so it's, it goes on in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Twelve, Verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your state now before, you're di- before you die. Now this is totally unreasonable in the Jewish faith. Okay? But this younger son is saying, Hey dad, I want you to understand something. I want my share of your estate. You see, what this son is saying, he's saying, Dad, I want you to understand something. I want to be free of you. I want to live life my way. I want to do it my way. Can you identify with that? You see, we do that sometimes. I don't want to hear God anymore. I want to be free. I don't want to hear I should. I want to be free to do what I want to do. And that is what this younger son is saying. And he's caught in the trap of immaturity and rebellion. And he's refusing to listen to the correct guidance that his father can give him. Because this isn't what ought to be done. And yet this younger son is saying, Hey dad, I want my share of your estate. Verse 12 says, So the father, look at the end of the verse, So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, God is a gentleman. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. This father is being kind. He ought to chastise the boy. He ought to say, listen, son, I'm not dead yet. But God is a gentleman. He always is. He will tell us the correct way we ought to go. But then He lets us choose. He gives us that freedom. He gives you that freedom. He doesn't always force His will on us. He speaks to us. And He's always trying to tell us 
the correct thought. It comes to our mind. That's why some people, they don't like going to church. Because you see, God is speaking the correct thought in their mind. And they don't want to hear that. Because like the younger son, they want to say, but I want to be free. I want to live my way. Now, according to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, 21st chapter, when a father dies, then the estate, two-thirds of the estate, goes to the older son, if he has two sons, and one-third of the estate goes to the younger son. And so this younger son is saying, Dad, I want you to know, I know you're not dead, but I want one-third of your estate. Normally, that takes place on the father's death, or... The father can decide to, though they didn't call it retirement back then, he could just say, you know, I don't want to manage all my belongings any longer. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make the younger son in charge, I mean the older son in charge, I give him two-thirds of the estate, and I'll give the younger son one-third. And they will provide for their father, but they will manage his estate. Now he can do that if he wants. What is unusual in this story is that that's not the way it comes about. It comes about with the younger son initiating the wrong thing. And that's what happens whenever we decide, I want to live my way. I initiate the wrong behavior in my marriage. I initiate the wrong choices for my family. I initiate the wrong choices for my life. Because I want to live my way and I want to do it my way. And what God is always trying to do is He's trying to bring us to a place that we repent of that. And the first part of the process of repenting is He brings to our mind a correct thought. And so, look at verse 13. It goes on. It says, A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. You see, he moves away from his father. Why? He don't want his father's guidance. He don't want to hear the correct guidance. But we'll see as the story goes along, his father's been a wise man. His father has provided for him. But he moves away. And what he does is, he's free. He can do whatever he wants. His dad has given him the one-third of the state. And he wastes all his money. He's not living as the father would recommend he lives. And what happens? He gets in financial trouble. And I'm going to tell you, we tend, when we make wrong choices, to find ourselves in financial trouble. When we live in rebellion. Whenever I won't talk with my wife about how we ought to use our money. Whenever I won't talk with God about how we ought to use our money. We could tell stories of making wrong choices. And that's what happens to this kid. He, he leaves his dad. He wants to be free. And he ends up finding himself in a financial trouble because he won't listen to good advice. Can you identify with that? Would you be honest? Would you be truthful? Well, look at verse 14. About that time, or about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Now listen to me. For rebellious individuals, they don't blame themselves for the bad that happens in their life. They're always blaming something else. My life wouldn't be so bad if, if my wife would be more agreeable. If my children would be more agreeable. If my work was a lot better. If the people I work with, if my supervisor. And see, this kid, this young man, 
His money runs out and there's a great famine. And you know what He's going to tell people? He's not going to say, I lost my money in wrong choices. He's going to say, if the economy wouldn't have went bad, I wouldn't have financial troubles. You ever go to your parents or somebody and say that? But you know it's your wrong choices that caused you to have financial trouble? You see, because in rebellion, in immaturity, we don't want to acknowledge that we're the ones that are making the wrong choices. And so we find something out here to blame. And that's, that's what Jesus puts in the story. He doesn't have to put this in the story. He's telling us. This is how rebellious people do. They're always looking for something else to blame. Many of you weren't here, but we play a set list. And the first song this afternoon on that set list, the title is, Ain't This World Good? Is that it? What? Ain't It Fun. And it's not a Christian song. It's a secular song talking about, ain't this world fun? Do it your own way. You find yourself alone. You go crying to your mama, but you make the wrong choices. You find yourself all alone. Ain't this world fun? And because I knew what I was going to talk about, I thought, wow, that song could be played just before the message. And that's what this boy is finding out. This world is not fun. But if he doesn't look at himself, he's never going to find his way out. Look at verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. This is a great way Jesus tells the story because you see, he has to persuade the farmer because the farmer is saying, you know what, you're a Jewish kid. Jewish people don't hang out with pigs because that's what he's going to do. No, man, you're overqualified. You can't do this. And today people say, I can't get a job because they say I'm overqualified. i got too much education. I know too much. I'm too old. See, we always find a reason. But he persuades this man, and this man gives him a job. And he's feeding pigs. He's doing something that Jewish people would not do. Pigs are unclean, that's why, to the Jewish person. Now, what does that say to us? Well, I live in rebellion. I want to be free. I won't listen to my Father in heaven. I won't take good advice. And so, what I end up doing, I find myself, listen, involving myself in things that aren't good for my well-being. But you see, I've got to exist. You've got to make some money to live. So I won't sell a lot of drugs. I'll sell a few drugs. I'll be dishonest with the help the government gives me because you know, I've got to barter and get money so I can use the money for my wrong choices but it's not my fault now. I want you to understand. It's not my fault. I just didn't. I, I didn't. You see? You, you say whatever. Or, or, hey, my baby has to eat. Come on. I won't steal a lot of things, but I'll steal a few things because my child has to eat. And we find ourselves doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing. And that's why Jesus puts us in the story. And it's so easy to read this story. And we want to talk about this lost boy that needs Jesus Christ as Lord. And the entire chapter is about being lost. Don't get me wrong. But in this story, Jesus is making it up. This isn't real life. Jesus is telling every point to get across to you and I. And if we read it too fast, we miss these points. 
Now before you get upset with me, just listen to the whole story first. Because some people don't like a pastor or someone who brings these things up. But you see, God's trying to put the correct thought in our mind. You see, God wants us to see ourselves as we really are, not as we think we are. God wants us to see His love for us. As it really is, not as... Now listen, I get upset at Christians. Because sometimes Christians aren't very loving. And they're very judgmental. And that's not how Jesus was. And I hate it whenever the newspaper says, Christians are fighting this. And the headlines. Because you see, the world thinks then all we do, we get in our church and we talk about how bad they are out there. And maybe some churches do do that. Today we're talking about looking at ourselves. You know, you, Jesus, Jesus never got on his soapbox and said, now, now, Jewish men, I want you to understand, women are not property. Because that's what Jewish men always thought. Women were like cattle, they're property. A woman's testimony couldn't be given in court. You can't trust a woman. You ever met men today who make those kind of awkward statements about females? And so what do we see in Jesus' life? He doesn't get on a soapbox and say, women are not property. Every female he met, he gave dignity to. Whenever I quit fighting with God about my rebellion, I raised my boys to see how you give women dignity. Older women, younger women. Little gals, big gals. See, Jesus demonstrated by His action. I like, I watched a video. I couldn't sleep the other night. I was so pumped 4th of July. I don't want to get into that, but so pumped. So I couldn't sleep. So I'm laying in bed. It's about 12.15. I can't sleep. And I'm staying at my son's house. And so I go grab a DVD and it's Batman Begins. Okay? And I catch a line that Batman says to the gal that, you know, the love interest maybe. Katie Holmes. And he makes a statement. That she says, who are you? And he wouldn't tell her. And he says, what's underneath is not important. In other words, because he's got his Batman outfit on. What's underneath is not important. What is important is what you do. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus stood for a lot of truth, but he didn't get on a soapbox. So they printed a newspaper. He did it with every person he met. He lived God's love. That's why we say here, live in love like Jesus. Because see, you and I can't do it right. But if we follow Him, we can discover the correct way of doing it. Well, look at verse 16 in the story. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when finally, verse 17, when finally he came to his senses, you see, it, it always takes time for rebellion and immaturity to move to the correct thought. It always takes time. Very few people change overnight. One of the things we say in CR is, it was a journey to get into your issues of life, whether that's, whether that's some kind of anger issue or, or, or uh, uh, 
control issue or codependency or addiction. And most people like come to CR and they want in one night or one month or, or five months to be healed and you can't do it. It takes a journey to get find victory over your, your issues. And so here's this guy. He's looking at what these pigs are eating and he's hungry. And of course he's saying, nobody helps me, nobody gives me anything. Of course, when you're immature and you're rebellious, you often say, nobody helps me out, nobody ever helps me out. But when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. In other words, he's saying, I can't find fulfillment in my life. I told you at the beginning, he said to his father, I want to be free. I want to live my way. I want to do it my way. Just give me my inheritance because that will make it possible. But does he really find freedom? Or has his wrong choices created a trap that he can't find his way out? He finally comes to his senses. Finally, finally God can get through with the correct thought on your worship handout look at the second blank second the correct decision when God gets through the correct thought this guy is saying you know my dad's a good guy he takes care of even the hired servants and what am I doing I'm out here I'm starving comes to that correct thought so the second thing is a correct decision. Look at verse 18. It's what I told you to underline. He says, I will go home to my father and, and I'd recommend you circle the word say. See, he's just not going home. He's going to say something. That's a correct decision. I will go home to my father and say. Now, now let, me, let me try to illustrate this. You see, sometimes Laura, my wife, and I will get in an argument. Most of the time it's her fault, not mine. Uh, no, 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 no. But we'll get in an argument. And, and I'll leave. Maybe I'll go to work because I work another job. And, and, and God will speak to me. And I'll think, you know, God, I am sorry. I should, I should have listened to her. I shouldn't have said it that way. I, I shouldn't have hurt her feelings. Okay? The Bible talks about using foul and abusive language. And we think that's somebody who just always uses profanity or cuss words. But sometimes I was using foul and abusive language. Just by the way I said something. And so God speaks to me. And man, I've confessed it with God. You know, I get this right thought, the correct thought, and, 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 and I know the action I need to take. I've told God I'm sorry. And so I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell Laura. And I'm driving home and, and I can't wait. You know, work gets done. I'm driving home. I'm going to tell her. And I pull in the garage and then I, I, I go in the door and she says, Well, hi, Mike. And I say, Well, hi, Laura. And I walk on by her. See, I had made the decision. But I never said anything. See, God puts the correct thought in our mind. That's the first part of, of, of repentance. That we need to return to Him. But then He wants us to make the correct decision. What we've got to do. What we've got to say. And look what He's going to say. Father, I have sinned, verse 18, against both heaven and you. I have a relationship with God and with you. He begins to think as a father to one. Can you imagine the father's thoughts? 
My son is coming clean. Where have you grown? What has happened to you that you're able to be truthful about your wrong choices and your wrong actions? Verse 19, And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please, take me as a hired servant. You see, he realizes what his father has to offer and so he's willing to repent of his wrong choices and his wrong actions. Now look at the third thing. Look on your worship handout. Third, the correct action. You see, the process of repentance is you've got to get the correct thought. And that's what God is always... I mean, He don't give up on you. He doesn't give up on me. He's always putting it in. Whether you stop going to church, He's putting through some TV preacher. He's putting through some song you hear on the radio. He's putting through somebody, a friend who says something. And God's saying, you know, I'm trying to give you the correct thought. And so the first thing in repentance is having the correct thought of what God would want. Not being rebellious. Not being immature. But what God would want. And then He gives us the correct decision. You know, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. But... The final part of repentance is that you take action. You see, I told you I'd, I didn't say anything to the Lord. I'd go back in the back and God would say, man, you chicken. And you see, it's just pride. It's rebellion that I learned from my teenage years. Anybody who knows me, I've told those stories. And I go back into the kitchen or wherever she's at. I say, hey, I want to tell you this morning or last night or whatever it was. And I, and I told God I'm sorry. And He made me realize I was wrong. And I'm sorry. You see, you've got to take the correct action. That's what the boy does. Jesus is telling the story. Somebody says you're making all this up. No, all I'm doing is taking the story Jesus made up and its parts had a purpose. Look what He says in verse 20. So, the son returned home to his father. Okay? In other words, go home. Go back to God. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Why does Jesus put that in there? Because he wants us to understand God's looking for you. He is. See, you think the pastor's trying to talk you into it. You think, you think your mate's trying to talk you into it. You think your friend's trying to talk you into it. You, you think somebody's trying to manipulate you. No, God's, man, he's waiting for you. And when the father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, Jesus said. He embraced his son. He kissed his son. His son hasn't said anything. But you see, I'm going to tell you, God knows you've heard the correct thought. God knows you've made the correct decision. And God never makes it hard to take the correct action. If you won't let your pride, your rebellion, your intimacy... Run your life. You see, many will say, God, please, please forgive me. But then they make the wrong choice. God, please forgive me and help me. But then the action is, they make the wrong choice. And you see, repentance always shows itself as being truthful in the sense that we take the correct action. It's one thing to have the correct thought. It's one thing to, to make the correct decision. But it's quite another thing to do the correct action. And repentance does all three. That's what repentance is all about. Action. God is watching you. He's waiting for you. He loves you. He's already sought to show you that by, by the illustration of His Son dying on the cross for you. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I'm not worthy for God to step out of heaven and to die on a cross for me. 
And yet you always hear that. You can't get away from that. Somebody's going to have it as a commercial on TV. You're going to go to church. You're going to hear somebody talk about Jesus' death on the cross. And it's all for you. See, God is saying, I'm just reaching to you. I love you. You're worth it. I care about you. That's why I came down from heaven and died on the cross. Because you're special. That's what Matt was trying to talk about when he was talking to us during the songs. God seeks to reach you. You! He seeks to reach you. Why? He wants to spare you from hell of eternity. And that's what the only thing most people talk about. You, know, you better follow Jesus so you don't die and go to hell. But the Bible says He wants to spare you from what sin does to you. The emptiness it creates inside you and in the relationship with people who love you. Because you see, they can't really get close to you. Because you won't repent of your wrong choices. Your pride holds on to it. God is just waiting. Not to manipulate or to control you, but to set you free. It is a plan that is wild. But it is a plan that will set you free. And God's patiently waiting for us, you and me, to come to our senses and to repent. The Bible says this. Look on the screen. I'm going to read a rather long passage in Romans, the sixth chapter. Look at it there. Starts out with hardly, you know well enough. He says, you know well enough from your own experience. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Christian people in Rome. He's not talking about people who do not know Jesus. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom. I want to be free. I want to do it my way. That destroy freedom. In other words, when you take that action, you get trapped. You get trapped in your pride and your sin. You don't want to do that. You don't want to have it in your life. But you're trapped. See, it looked like so-called freedom. I got away from mom, dad, and God, and I can do what I want. I can make my own decision. I can spend my money the way I want. I can go where I want. And so he says, you know from your own experience that there are some acts that as humans you call so-called freedom that destroy freedom. They trap you. So he says, offer yourself to sin. That's what you're doing. You're saying, hey, wrong choices? I give myself to you. For instance, and he says it's your last, look what he says, free act. See, because once you're trapped, you can't get away from it. Once you're trapped, you're doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. You can't get away from it. And you, you know, you know the, the, the height of, of a personal pride is to say, I know it, but hey, it's my life. I can do what I want. And I'll live with the ramifications. He says, offer yourself to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. Because you're trapped. Sin is controlling you. He goes on. He says, it's your last free act. But offer yourself to the ways of God. In other words, take the actions God wants. Because He's speaking the correct thought in your mind. Right now even. And the freedom never quits. Now, what does he mean by the freedom never quits? Uh, I think if you listen to Whitney and we had the other three people are going to Orlando, they gave their story. If you listen, what it is is once you start acknowledging to God, 
And when you acknowledge God, He's going to want you to share it with somebody who's safe. Don't share everything with unsafe people. God begins to bring you liberation. He sets you free. You, you, you find a day free of the wrong choice. You, you, you find a week free of the wrong choice. You find a month free of the wrong choice. Oh, you may relapse, but you know what? You don't stay stuck for six months. You see, it leads to greater liberation. And, and, and what you do, all of a sudden you find out, you know, this isn't my only struggle, but here's my struggle. And you find liberation from this. I've said this often. About four years ago, I had a personal friend of mine who was a functioning alcoholic. I wish I could tell you all about him now, but it's taking too much time. But he stood up, excuse me, and he talked to us. And what he found out, he started to come celebrate recovery because alcohol, he was a functioning alcoholic. It controlled him. But he's able to function. Government job, boss, all that kind of stuff. Country club, golfer, married three times. But you listen to his story, he gets down. You know what led to all that? Codependency in his life. You see, because when you start taking the right actions God wants, it sets you free. There's a sense of liberation that starts developing in your life. Oh, you're never perfect. But you find strength. Because you see, God's got a plan for us. That's why He says, hey, get lost in me. Come away with me. Come away with Jesus. Now He goes on. Look, He says, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you let sin, all your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. Now, will you be honest? That's what rebellion and immaturity does. But thank God you've started listening to a new master. See, sin has been your master. But thank God you started listening to a new master. Who's the new master? What's the name of the new master? What? Jesus Christ. That's why in Celebrate Recovery, we're a 12-step program. But we name who our supreme being is. He's Jesus Christ. We don't leave that for somebody to say, no, I think it's this and I think it's this. It's Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to tell these Christians in Rome. He's trying to say, I want you to understand, you've been trapped because of your wrong choices. And you know, it doesn't set you free. It's, it causes you to lose your freedom because you're trapped. But when you take God's actions, you find liberation. Why? Because you change the Master in your life. The Master is not the pastor or the church. Not even the Bible. The Master is Jesus Christ. It's from the Bible. Hopefully from a healthy pastor and from a healthy church, you learn about that Master. He goes on. Verse 18. One whose commands set you free to live openly in His freedom. And that's the words of Jesus. It's not commands like, you better follow these commands. It's the words of Jesus that sets us free. I'm using this freedom language. Look. Paul's saying, I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. In other words, you can see yourself, how you're trapped in your sins, and how you've felt that liberation when you keep Jesus Christ as your master. You can readily recall, can't you? Look what he says, at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, look at that on the screen, the last, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. So you know this is true, don't you? You know that you get trapped in your own choices. Paul is just reminding them of that. Though I'm using my words. And he says, and how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom? 
your lives healed and expansive in holiness. In other words, you're so wanting to be close to God. Some people think it's sort of weird. Expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, look what he says, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. You see, there's no accountability to God. That's why, again, I'm going to say some people, they just put the church out. I don't need to go to church because I don't want to hear I'm accountable to God. I want to be free. I want to do it my way. And verse 21, the last verse. But do you call that a free life? Look what he says. Do you really call that a free life? He says, what did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. The relationships have been broken. The way you've hurt people. Nothing you're proud of now. The private thoughts, sinful thoughts you have. Nothing you're proud of now. And where did it get you? A dead end. See, that was his younger son. Dead end. But God got the correct thought in his mind. You see the process of repentance? The son gets the correct decision. I need to go home. I need to go back to God, Jesus is trying to say in the story. I need to go to the one who loves me so much and has so much to give. I must take that action and go and say to him, I messed up. And I'm sorry. I just want to relate with you. And that's what. That's what the story's all about. And today, even though this story is 2,000 years old, the story is still applicable to you and I. Listen to me. Dying on the cross, Jesus saves us. No doubt about that. Dying on the cross, Jesus saves us. Jesus carries our sin far away, the Bible says. And when we take them to God, He forgives them through the cross, the giving of Jesus Christ on the cross. God doesn't even hear them anymore. He doesn't see them anymore. Forgiveness means they're removed. Satan will remind you. And maybe somebody else will want to remind you, but God says they're gone. But we've got to be aware. We make wrong choices today. Dying, He saves me. Carried my sin far away. But one day He's coming back. And what a glorious day it's going to be. Because you're going to know you have a relationship with Him. But until that day comes back, He wants you relating to Him right now. And so my challenge is, today, right now, begin following Jesus as the Lord of your life. Just make that decision. Talk to God. You've already got the correct thought in your mind. You know the, you know the decision you ought to make. Take the action. And today, even though you don't understand it all, begin following Jesus as Lord. What we're going to do, we're going to take what we call face down. Some churches call it communion. Some call it the Lord's Supper. If, you're, if you grew up in a very formal church, it was called Eucharist. I just call it face down. That's what we name it here at Connection because we want people to realize when we take the elements of the bread and juice, we're just falling face down before God and saying thank you for what Jesus has done.
You see, the Bible teaches that the bread represents the body of Jesus. That was given for me on the cross. And the blood, the, the juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed so my sins could be forgiven. Totally doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand how it all works. And I've had three years of theological training and I've had years of, of studying the Bible. And yet God says, it works. But I want you who know Him as Lord on a regular basis to take the bread and take the juice. And when you do, remember what Jesus has done for us. What He's done for you. I'd like those who are going to serve just to come up here and take your place right here. And what we're going to do in a little bit, a video is going to start. There's going to be a song on it. Okay? And they're going to play that through and you just listen, okay? But during that time, I invite you to experience face down. How do we do it? You just go, you pull a piece of bread off, you dunk it in the juice, okay? And then you eat it. Or you take it back to your seat, however you want to do it. But when you do, remember what Jesus Christ did just for you. Just for you. Because He loves you that much. He cares for you that much. This is what every believer is to do. I know churches and denominations have put rules and regulations on it. You don't have any of that in the New Testament. You just have Jesus saying, do this often. Do this often. And so if Christ is Lord of your life, I invite you to take this. If you don't feel comfortable doing it, my goodness, just remain seated. It'll be over shortly. Because maybe today is not a time you want to do this. But for you who do, I invite you to come as the video plays.